Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. The Dark Auction I'm the kind of guy who loves a good auction, and there's a decent one every Saturday night not too far from my residence. This auction tends to get a lot of unique items, interesting antiques, and primitive collectibles. I have a weakness for one-of-a-kind items, and my taste usually leans toward the unusual. But I never go to an auction with something specific in mind. I like to watch the auction unfold and see what catches my eye. On this particular night, the auction was slow. I sat there for a couple of hours, and there was nothing of interest. I was about to pack it in and head home when finally, something was presented that made my eyes widen. It was a broomstick. It was of common size, but that's where the normality stopped. It was ashen in color. The wood shaft was ancient, but in immaculate shape. And the brush was ragged. It didn't consist of factory-cut artificial straw. It was made of various vines and twigs that were tied together to form a uniform brush. The brush cap was a thick pewter chain which dangled a pentagram pendant. The broom clearly served no practical purpose. It was purely decorative, but something about it was alluring. The story the auctioneer told only added to the intrigue. He said the person he obtained the broom from claimed that this broom once belonged to a green witch. That got a hearty chuckle from the room, but I wasn't deterred. I wanted it. I assumed I wouldn't have much competition and could probably secure the item by starting off with a $20 bid. As the broom was held up and the auctioneer asked for an opening bid, I began to raise my hand and shout out my offer, but somebody else beat me to it. $2,000. The bid set the crowd to buzzing as they all turned their head to see who that bidder was. She looked prehistoric. Her skin was wrinkled and weathered to the point where it held a greenish-gray hue. She had a long nose and protruding chin that housed a disgusting, hairy wart. Her white hair flowed down over a black robe. 
I mean, the only thing that was missing was a black pointed hat. The sea of people parted as the old woman made her way through the crowd to the front of the auction house. She paid for her broomstick in cash and departed. The auction house was quiet for a good 30 seconds before the auctioneer got his bearings and moved on to the next item. As people refocused their attention back to the auction, I couldn't get my mind off that witch-like woman who just paid two grand for something that she probably could have made at a craft store for 50 bucks. I got up and stepped outside in hopes of seeing the old woman. I didn't have to look far. She was sitting on a park bench next to the building. She was rocking back and forth, embracing the broomstick. Her tight, congested wheeze manifested into a violent coughing attack. I eased my way toward her, took a seat next to her on the bench, and put my hand on her shoulder. As her coughing subsided, I asked her if she was okay. She cleared her throat and spit out an enormous wad of bright green phlegm that splattered against the sidewalk. I'm fine now. I couldn't help but ask her about the high price she paid for that broomstick. She was happy to explain. It belonged to my grandmother. I couldn't let anyone else have it. I felt sorry for her. Clearly she wasn't long for this world. I asked her if there was anything I could do for her. She nodded. Take me to my coven. I wasn't sure if that was meant as humor or if she was serious. Either way, I helped her to my car and asked her where her coven was. She gingerly reached into a pocket within her robe, pulled out a card, and handed it to me. It had an address on it, which wasn't too far away, and I took her there. It was a large, three-story Georgian colonial that looked more like a school than a house. I was about to exit my vehicle to assist the old witch with getting out, but didn't have to. As soon as I put my car in park, at least half a dozen women in black robes stepped from the large dwelling and converged around my car. They were of varying ages. Some were young and quite beautiful. Others were old and decrepit. They made their way to my passenger's door and helped the witchy woman out of the vehicle and began ushering her into the dwelling. I was about to ask if I could do anything to help, but one woman touched my forearm and said, You need not say a word. Thank you. That was what I call one hell of a night. I drove home, parked, and was ready to hit the hay when I noticed a slip of paper sitting on the passenger seat of my car. It must have fallen out of the witch's pocket when she pulled out the card with her address on it. I picked it up and took a closer look. It was a ticket. The front of it said, Admission for One to Spectre's Auction House. I had been to every auction in the entire region. I had never heard of Spectre's Auction House, but I was intrigued. So much so that the next day, I went back to my local auction house and spoke with the auctioneer. I showed him the ticket and asked him if he ever heard of the place. His eyes widened and his face turned pale. He simply shook his head and walked to his office. I couldn't leave it at that. He clearly knew something, so I followed him to his office and insisted that he tell me more. 
but the only thing I could get him to say was, Never heard of it. He was obviously lying, so I took out my wallet, removed a $50 bill, and slapped it down on the counter in front of him. He laughed as he pushed the $50 bill back toward me. You have quite the sense of humor, young man. I placed a $100 bill on top of the 50 and pushed it back to him. This time he didn't laugh. He looked around discreetly, snatched up the money, and moved in closer to me before he spoke. It's an underground black market auction. We refer to it as the dark auction. To say I was intrigued would be a ridiculous understatement. When is it? Where is it? The auctioneer shook his head. Trust me, you don't want any part of that place. My advice is to throw that ticket away and pretend you never heard of it. I smiled at him. I'm a big boy capable of making my own decisions. How do I get there? The auctioneer scribbled some information on an index card and cleared his conscience as he handed it to me. Nobody can say I didn't warn you. The dark auction was about two hours from my house and took place in a rickety old castle at the end of a dirt road. When I arrived, I was surprised by the clientele. People were getting out of limousines. Most of the men were donning tuxedos. Women were in flashy evening gowns. I stood out like a lump of coal in a bag of diamonds as I waited in line to enter. The bulky doorman clearly didn't think I belonged when he barked at me, Invitation only. I smiled confidently as I held up my ticket. The doorman snatched it from my hand and inspected it closely before barking at me again. Where did you get this? I shrugged. Does it matter? The doorman let out a huff and reluctantly allowed me to enter. I stood in awe at the luxurious ballroom I was standing in. The white and black checkered floor was glistening. There were pillars in every corner and various drapes over portions of the walls. And there were rows upon rows of seats in front of a stage. I nonchalantly took my seat and waited for the auction to begin. It seemed as though most of the people attending the dark auction knew each other as there was a lot of chit-chat going on. I wasn't sure if the inordinate amount of stares I was getting was due to me being severely underdressed or the fact that nobody else knew who the hell I was. I didn't care. I just wanted to see what was so special about this auction that it needed to be so secretive and brought out such extravagant attendees. Finally, the auction began. The auctioneer was a lanky, skeletal man with a booming, deep voice. He didn't even need to use a microphone. He thanked everyone for attending and brought out the first item for auction. It was a huge, white, spiraled horn sitting on a red pillow. This is an authentic unicorn horn that still houses healing powers. Who will start the bidding? Unicorn horn? I thought it was a joke until I heard the opening bid of one million dollars. It eventually sold for ten million. I was in shock as the auctioneer's assistants carried in the next item. It was a huge mounted head of a 
creature. Its skin was peach in color, it had a horn protruding from its forehead, and had only a single eye. This is the mounted head of a Hungarian Cyclops. The Cyclops head sold for three million. The next item was gigantic and took several people to roll it out. It was a stuffed centaur. It was positioned rearing up on its hind horse legs and drawing a bow with its human arms. It too sold for an exorbitant amount of money. The next item was a case filled with 499-year-old phoenix ashes, with the phoenix set to rise from those ashes in one year. That sold for $18 million. And the unbelievable items kept coming. A mermaid's tail, fairy dust, an egg laid by the Loch Ness Monster, a vampire's skull, the wings of a pegasus, a dragon's tooth. I sat there in stunned silence the entire night, watching extraordinary item after extraordinary item come up for auction. When the night ended, I was exhausted. I couldn't believe what I witnessed. I got up to leave. My plan was to stop by the witch's coven the next day to find out how I can obtain another ticket to this magnificent auction. As I attempted to walk through the exit area, I was stopped by the bulky doorman. Exit ticket, please. Exit ticket? I asked this buffoon what he was talking about. You had an entrance ticket to gain entry. You need to produce an exit ticket to leave. I guess that ticket didn't fall out of the witch's robe. But how bad could not having an exit ticket be? I mean, what could they do? I fessed up and told the doorman I didn't have an exit ticket. He grabbed me by the shoulders, spun me around, and shouted out to the crowd, This man does not possess an exit ticket! There was an audible gasp by several of the attendees, and then they slowly began chanting, Intruder! 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 The auctioneer stood tall on the stage and bellowed out, We have an intruder in our midst. He then pointed to one of the curtains on the walls. Show him what happens to intruders. The curtain was dropped to reveal a gigantic shelving unit with multiple rows of decapitated heads. I struggled as at least half a dozen doormen swarmed upon me and forced me to the stage. My hands were cuffed behind my back, and my body was pressed against a large wooden table. My head was hanging off the table, and I was looking down at a bloody basket below me. The crowd continued to chant, Intruder, over and over as a tree trunk of a man with a hooded mask stood next to me and hoisted an executioner's sword high into the air. I didn't feel a thing as my head was severed from my body. There is 
is something inside the wall. My name is Shepard Conway. I'm the owner of the G.C. Conway Museum of Oddities. The museum was founded by my father, Gerald. He passed away when I was in college. That's when I took over. Some of the items housed in our museum include a pair of George Washington's wooden teeth, over 200 human skulls, guns owned by Bonnie and Clyde, a life-size replica of John Merrick, better known as the Elephant Man, multiple art pieces created by notorious serial killers, the ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz, the largest cancerous tumor in history, a coffin designed for a family of four, a supposed haunted ventriloquist dummy, one of Bram Stoker's pens, several different dinosaur bones, a necklace of human ears found on a deceased soldier during the Vietnam War, some medieval torture devices, Teddy Roosevelt's monocle, and Jack the Ripper's diary. My father brought the museum up from nothing. It started out as one room with a few interesting items. But with a growing collection of oddities, coupled with my father's keen marketing ability, the museum became an extreme success, which it continues to be to this day. So successful, in fact, that we recently had to expand. The museum is located in a block-long building that was the town's farmer's market and butcher store back in the early 1900s. Our museum takes up half of the building. The other half was used by a local community theater. When the theater moved to a larger location, we bought the remainder of the building. The expansion would require knocking down the wall separating the museum from the theater side of the building. I hired contractors to do the job and they assured me it would be relatively simple and would not take them long. Shortly after they began tearing down the wall, the foreman called me and was frantic. He kept repeating that they found something in the wall and that I had to get down there. I hurried to the museum and the freaked out foreman ushered me inside. When I entered, I noticed several workers standing by the section of the wall that they had begun removing. They were shining flashlights into the hollow center of the wall and jockeying for positions to see within. The foreman stepped up and pointed. There's something inside the wall. What is it? I asked as I positioned my body so that I could get a better view. The flashlights all converged on a large rectangular wooden object that had obviously been secretly placed inside the wall. I told the workers to attempt to remove it. It was wedged in tight, but they were able to loop some ropes around it and pull it out. It was a casket. An old 19th century wooden viewing casket that had a viewing window toward the top so that everyone could see the face of the body within. And yes, there was a body inside the casket. The body was of a young woman. Her flowing blonde hair looked fresh and clean as though it had been washed that morning. It was contradictory to her pruned, decayed flesh. Her face was frozen in a screaming expression of terror. 
We called the police, and in no time my museum was inundated with police, coroners, other examiners, and press. And I don't just mean local press. I'm talking about press from all over. Every state was represented. There were also crews from Germany, Great Britain, and Japan. I guess it's not every day when somebody finds a casket with a dead body inside a wall. And with the amount of money I was having to spend on the expansion of the museum, the influx of publicity was welcome. Quite honestly, I could never have dreamed up a better marketing stunt on my own. This was amazing, but the benefits of the publicity aside, I was puzzled as to how this coffin found itself inside the wall. And who was the person within? The next day, I received a call from the coroner. They had established the identity of the young deceased woman in the coffin. Her name was Wendy Browner. And I knew her. I didn't know her well. We both went to the same local college. She was a cheerleader and quite popular. She was one year older than me, so we hung out in different circles. I remember when she went missing. The town was abuzz. She was last seen jogging a few blocks from her apartment. She never returned home that night, and nobody had ever seen her since. She vanished without a trace. There were search parties every day for a full week. My dad was one of the people who helped put the search party together. He was out there night after night with groups of people searching local woods and other areas trying to find her. No one ever knew what happened to her. Until now. Before I could inquire as to how she wound up in the museum's wall, the coroner told me that they had found something in the casket with the body and that I needed to get down there immediately. My intrigue was off the charts. I dropped everything and sped to the coroner's office. The coroner led me to the examining room. I could see the empty casket propped up against a wall. Wendy Browner's remains were lying on a gurney. Next to her remains was a long, aged piece of paper. The coroner handed me a magnifying glass and instructed me to read what was on the paper. I was quite perplexed, but when I bent down and began reading, it all made sense. It was a note from my father. This is what it said. Dear son, if you're reading this note, it means the museum is doing so well that you needed to expand. I'm proud of you. I knew you would carry on the family business. I never doubted you for a moment. However, if you're in the midst of an expansion, you're probably doling out a fair amount of cash. I'm guessing a nice heaping amount of publicity would be welcome right about now. So here it is. You may have difficulty with what I'm about to confess. I'm a murderer. I have been my entire life. I have some kind of screw loose that makes me have to take people's lives. It's difficult for me to explain why I have to do it. I take no joy in it. But I've always been cursed with a constant craving to kill. I took many lives in my younger days. 
After I met your mother, I was able to stop for a couple of years, but the hunger was always there. I can make it subside for some time if I murdered someone. Fortunately, it got to the point where I only needed to kill once every couple of years. Wendy was my last victim. I knew she would be. I was eaten up with cancer when I killed her. I knew I wouldn't be around much longer. I often hid the bodies of my victims in walls of abandoned buildings, but I thought I'd hide this one in the wall of the museum. No one would ever find her there, unless you tore down the wall to expand. So I offer you this gift of publicity from the grave. Keep our museum thriving. Your loving father, Gerald. My father was a serial killer. He was also a marketing mastermind, so much so that he was drumming up publicity for the museum from the dead. Wendy Browner's remains were buried, but I got to keep the casket and my father's note. They are now the prime exhibits of G.C. Conway's Museum of Oddities, which, by the way, has lines out the door every day of the week. Thanks to my father, the murderer and marketing genius. Do you believe in ghosts? My name is Kathy. When I was 23, I was interning for a business. I was in dire need of housing that wasn't too far from my internship and was relatively inexpensive. I thought I found the perfect place. It wasn't super close, but being that it was only a 20-minute drive from the business, it was an acceptable distance. It was an old, weathered, two-story cottage that was out in the middle of the woods. The driveway was at least a mile long, and the forest grew denser the closer I got to the house. I could only imagine how creepy this drive would be at night. I met the landlord at the property so he could show me around. The place was fantastic. Not too big, not too small, pretty simple. Everything worked and it had a cozy feel to it. The only negative I saw was when he told me that the closest neighbor was about five miles away. Being a single petite gal like me, I found that to be slightly concerning. But at the same time, the thought of some serious peace and quiet was attractive. Besides, I did have a fat beagle named Smokey. He may not be a man-eater, but he could bark with the best of them. The rent for this property was ridiculously low at only 100 bucks a month. That seemed crazy to me, so I asked him why it was so low. His response was a little unsettling. Do you believe in ghosts? I told him I didn't, but was incredibly intrigued and asked for elaboration. He went on to say that he purchased the house a few years ago with the sole intent of turning it into a rental property. He fixed it up and had no problem renting it. 
but his first tenants left after only a week, saying that they experienced many strange things that frightened them to the point of leaving. He said since then he has only had one tenant stay for more than a month before becoming terrified and vacating the premises. Apparently word had gotten around and nobody wanted to live in a haunted house. He said the only way he was making money from the property was renting it to paranormal teams for investigations. Multiple investigators were able to capture strange foggy apparitions on camera, along with several recordings of disembodied voices. He said the place was mined for 100 bucks a month plus utilities, but required a $300 non-refundable deposit in the event that I left after a few days. I assured him that would not be the case, and told him I'd take it. Nothing unusual happened during the first few days at the house, which led me to believe that the majority of the folks who previously rented this place had to have been overly superstitious or something. I placed a motion detector by the final stretch of the driveway along with the security camera. That way I'd be alerted if anyone showed up unexpected. On the fourth night there, the driveway alarm sounded. That wasn't too unusual as animals often set it off. I assumed it to be a deer, but grabbed my phone and pulled up the security camera footage. What I saw was a large dark silhouette floating past the camera. I grabbed a flashlight, opened the door, and shined it all over the front yard, but I didn't see anything. I guess it was possible that it was an animal and the infrared light on the security camera was playing tricks with the image. That's what I kept telling myself. The next night I was watching TV and was startled when I heard a heavy knock on my front door. I wasn't expecting any company. And being that this house was in the middle of nowhere, I was alarmed. I also had a security camera on the front porch just for such occasions. I pulled up the live feed on my phone, but there was nobody there. As I stared at the live feed of the empty porch and my front door, there was another knock. This couldn't be. I was looking at the live feed and could see the front door. There was nobody there. But if nobody was there, who was knocking on the door? I grabbed my 38 revolver from my purse and quickly flung the door open. My security camera had not been lying. There was nobody there. The next day, it was still daylight out when I got home. When I opened the front door, I was surprised that my dog, Smokey, was not there to greet me like he always was. Before I could even call out his name, I heard his bark come from down the hall. I walked down the hallway until I spotted him. He was sitting outside the bathroom door. The door was shut. He was looking up toward the top of the door and barking. Something was in there. As I reached for the doorknob to open the door, I could hear deep, congested breaths coming from behind the door. Again, I pulled my gun from my purse and quickly opened the bathroom door. The bathroom was empty. Later that night, I was sitting on the couch watching television. It was getting late and I dozed off. 
I was awakened when I heard Smokey clawing at the back door, wanting to be let outside. This was common. I started to stand up to go let him out, when I noticed that Smokey was fast asleep on the couch next to me. Yet the scratching on the back door continued. When I approached the back door, the scratching stopped. I opened the door and looked around. It was snowing heavily, so if another animal had been scratching at the door from outside, I would have seen its tracks. But the snow was pure and untouched. That night I was sleeping in my bed and was woken up by Smokey licking my face over and over. Again, not an uncommon occurrence when I'm in bed and he wants to go outside. I started to giggle at his relentless licking and then froze when I heard Smokey start barking from another room. I launched out of my bed and flicked on the light. There was nobody in the bed but I could make out a fresh indentation on the mattress next to where I had been laying. I ran out of the bedroom and into the living room where I found Smokey. He was looking past me down the dark hallway and was growling at something. As I turned to see what he was barking at, I heard an extremely deep voice come from my bedroom. Kathy, come here. Now. My blood ran cold. I grabbed Smokey and my car keys and bolted from the house. I jumped into the car and tried to start it. It just revved and revved, but wouldn't turn over. As I continued trying to start the car, I saw the front door to the house burst open. I could see disembodied footprints appearing in the snow and approaching the car. Finally, the engine roared to life. As I started to back up, I heard loud pounding on the hood of the car. I peeled out of the driveway and slid into a mound of snow. I stomped on the accelerator, and the wheels just spun and spun. I was stuck, and could see the footprints in the snow getting closer and closer. I shifted my car into reverse and backed up slightly before shifting back into drive. Finally, the wheels gained some traction, and I screeched off into the snowy night and far away from that house. I never went back. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon.